You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey, everybody, we've got a great show for you here today. Thank you for joining in. Uh, we got Tyler Thompson. Tyler is with Second Century Ventures. He's a seasoned uh, investor, operator, uh, and basically has as close of a pulse onto uh, the VC world and prop tech as anybody out there. Um, Tyler is going to touch on some big themes that he's seeing, not only in the macro environments from a venture capital investing standpoint, uh, but also from a, an operational standpoint for what makes the best prop tech companies out there in this rough marketplace. Um, listen in. It's a great one. Thanks for joining. Tyler Thompson, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Good to be here. Yeah, we're, we're uh, fresh off the heels of the Blueprint Conference, so there's just been a lot of uh, buzz in the uh, prop tech space, I think, uh, on the investor side and also on the, on the operator side. Um, but uh, before we jump into today's topic, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself so we could uh, get, get acquainted? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Tyler Thompson. I'm a managing partner at Second Century Ventures. We also run the Reach Accelerator Scale-Up Program. Um, I've got a long history as both an entrepreneur um, with startups and a number of verticals, but also a lifelong love affair with real estate. And certainly what we do at Second Century Ventures allows me to kind of marry those two interests of mine. Cool. And uh, we are a proud Second Century portfolio company and REACH uh, alum. Can't say enough about that program. Um, you guys really do support your entrepreneurs, so we greatly appreciate that. Um, switching over to our topic. So what we wanted to talk about today was um, basically how we're going to face uncertain times in terms of both um, how VCs like yourself look at the market. You could talk broadly about the market. You could focus in on prop tech, however you want to take it. Uh, and then what some of the advice you have for companies that are kind of in the early stages of scaling, um, you know, through some potentially choppy waters. So um, I guess let's just start it off with on, on the investment side. Um, what are you seeing out there today? Is it is, is there still deal flow? Is there a lot of dry powder? Um, you know, what are the characteristics of some of the companies that exist? If they've changed at all, I'm sure there's some norms that a good company is a good company. But why don't you just break down kind of what you're seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Let, let, let's start at kind of the, the macro level. The fact is that, that all markets have taken a bit of a beating, right? Um, yep. And I think anyone that's venture-backed or looking to raise capital would tell you that um, times have changed in terms of the, the process associated with going out and raising capital. Um, certainly, um, on, the, on the venture side of things, um, you know, our process has changed. Um, but I think, you know, you, you brought up a couple of questions as to whether or not there's deal flow and dry powder. And the answer is yes and yes. There are plenty of deals um, and there's plenty of capital. I just think that, that we, um, on the fun side of things, look at things through a bit of a different lens considering what's going on around the world um, from an economic perspective. And so really, as, as we take a look at deals now, we're, we're focused on fundamentals. Um, we, I've never been an investor that, that goes after the grow at any cost, you know, mentality or the, that yep. type of founder. Um, but, but a number of, of funds have, right. A number of companies kind of took that approach. So we haven't seen as big a hit in, in terms of our portfolio with what's gone on recently, but certainly we look at things through a different lens and we let people know out of the gate that we're looking at fundamentals. We want to see a strong foundation. 
We want to see founders that have a plan in place to get them through the next 12 to 18 months solidly. So they're not looking to raise again in the next six months. Um, and we do let people know that the process might take a bit longer. I mean, in the past, you know, people would open up rounds and close them out in 30 days. And the fact is that that we, along with a number of the other funds that are kind of real estate focused, are taking 60, 90 plus days to, to take a look around just because you're looking a bit deeper, right? The diligence is a bit is a bit deeper. Um, and certainly we we're looking at these deals through a different lens. Yeah. It, and um, obviously, those are all kind of disciplines that you probably always <clears throat> you know, maintain whether you're in a good market or a bad market, you want to look for great fundamentals. Um, what is the driving force behind that? Is it just uncertainty and like where the public tech stock market is headed and how that might impact valuations? Is it, um, you know, is there other macro force out there that is potentially kind of dragging these deals out? Because I've talked to a bunch of fellow entrepreneurs who have expressed some frustration with you know, just deals taking forever and like, you know, not term sheets being pulled, but, you know, maybe verbal commitments being made to commit to a due diligence period. And then, you know, people kind of go and ghost on them and stuff like that. So what are potentially some of the driving forces behind it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's gone on in the public market certainly plays a role in it. Not as much for us. We have fairly patient money. You know, our fund is a bit different. We have a single LP. It's an evergreen fund. Um, we have the ability to be a little more patient in terms of potential exits. Um, and at some point, the, the public markets uh, will rebound and, and will be right again. But certainly that, you know, a lot of people are kind of pausing because of what's going on in the public markets, especially when you're looking at, you know, CD rounds or, you know, pre-IPO rounds, et cetera. Um, for us, though, I, I think that kind of at the macro level, you're seeing uh, your customer base a bit slower to adopt technology, Right. Um, people are kind of cutting the the nice to have components, um, focusing on the need to haves. Um, it takes longer. The sales the sales cycle, as you know, takes a bit longer than it maybe did in the past when the market was frothy um, and the real estate was booming. And so, um, for, for us, I, I think the reason that we find ourselves in this position is that one, a lot of uh, funds took a step back. Right? It's not that they don't have plenty of capital place, but they took a step back. Let's see where the market's going to go before we keep placing capital, maybe place it in a different way. Certainly take a look, a harder look at the deals before we place capital. But also we're taking into account it's just more difficult for our companies to go out and execute on their plan. Not that it's impossible, but it just might take longer than they would have anticipated it. Um, but, you know, honestly, what we're saying is that companies that have those strong fundamentals, have really good products, aren't, you know, the nice to have, but they're really a need to have. They're a necessary component of, of what these real estate groups need in order to operate more efficiently, efficiently and get deals done. Um, those companies continue to excel. There's plenty of capital out there for companies like that. Yeah. What are some of those types of technologies? Because I think I agree with you in, in that, like, it's probably really easy to raise money with either no tech or no traction, probably, I, I don't know, six to 12 months ago. Um and some of the rounds that I saw were just absurd in terms of huge seed rounds with, with zero to little traction. Are you seeing um, specific areas of prop tech that are, are more resilient than others, uh, whether they're climate tech related or, I mean, we, we're a little bit outside the norm in terms of prop tech because we sell software to businesses that aren't necessarily like related to physical assets or buildings or something like that. Um, is it the real estate investment world that is kind of pulling back and lengthening out those those sales cycles, or is it just are there certain sectors that that kind of raise red flags? 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's a, it's a crowded space for a number of technologies, both the residential and the commercial side of things. Like if you're trying to get into, you know, the, the residential vertical with the CRM, you're in trouble because it's crowded, right? Yep. What you do at Occupier is different. Um, one, you're, you're going after a segment of the market, even though we kind of dropped you in the prop tech bucket, it's a bit different, right? This is an essential component of someone's business. And essentially you're showing them, um, from a lease accounting perspective and everything else that you do, that you can do it in a more efficient manner, right? And so um, that you're you're not going through a long kind of educational process. Some of the companies that are going and trying to really change the market, bring new tech to the business that that take this long tail kind of educational component. I, I think companies have kind of turned that off right now. They're saying, look, we're going to focus on what helps us drive actual business, um, and and that's everything. Um, and in the past, when, again, the market was really frothy and everything was selling, you know, both the residential and commercial side in kind of record time um, or leasing up in record time, people had the extra cash around, right? So they're experimenting with tech, you know, and again, they're kind of adding the, the nice to have components of what it takes to operate. I think you're seeing people kind of scale back to the need to have. Um, one area that we're really excited about, and you know this, and I've talked about this with you in the past with your team, I'm a huge fan. I've never been one to be enamored by kind of the buzzwords, right? And even though, you know, when we talk about prefab housing or artificial intelligence and the metaverse, and it's, you know, it's interesting and they're interesting topics to discuss, et cetera. Um, the fact is, I'm a huge fan of, you know, maybe the technologies or topics that are a little more boring, right? Yeah, boring and, businesses. You know, that's why yeah. I love lease accounting. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great because those are the components. Those are actual components. Those are actual pain points that people experience in their business. And if you come in and you solve those components, I mean, look, we love e-signature, obviously. Um, we bet heavy on DocuSign. I love remote on notarization. I love anything where there's a process where there were pen and paper or basic Excel in the past, and you can come in and with technology and make those processes uh, more streamlined, more efficient, et cetera. So I'm highly focused on those areas. The other component of the market that I'm really excited about is anything to do with kind of tenant experience. You know, as we kind of rethink the way we work, the way we live, et cetera, um, you know, the basic office isn't necessarily the, the answer. So any way to engage with the tenants, to get them interested and excited about being back in the office, even if that's in a hybrid manner, whatever it might be, um, I think those are necessary components of, of what's going on in the market today to, to look at as you're trying to kind of re-up these leases and to fill these office buildings back up. Certainly when you look at climate tech, um, I, I think in the U.S. it's still a bit faddish. I, I'm I'm a huge uh, proponent of of climate tech and anything to do with sustainability. I think it's you know it's certainly our obligation to be involved in, in making this world a better place. And certainly from a real estate perspective, you know we can do a lot better than what we've done in the past. Unfortunately, there just aren't mandates, right? It's people just don't have budgets for it to to do it in the U.S. But when you look at Europe um, or the U.K., for example, where there are these net zero mandates. Um, those are areas that, that we're really interested in. They're taking off and people are paying real attention to it because they have to, because there are real penalties associated with not getting compliant. Yeah. Which opposed to like ES corporate ESG programs that are more um, driven by that corp corporation's kind of commitment to sustainability versus the government saying, okay, look, you need to be net neutral carbon by a certain date. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a huge budget allocation towards technology that is going to help help you get there. Yeah, I mean, those ESG initiatives are certainly important to these companies, right? But the fact right. is that they're just, in terms of the list of priorities, I think, in, especially on the U.S. side, we're kind of doing the bare minimum, right? Because they can get away with that. Certainly, you have to be involved. 
Um, but when you actually start to have some of these mandates, um, it gets interesting. I, I think that the U.S. needs to kind of follow suit with what we've seen in Europe and the U.K. Um, if we're going to be really serious about it. And considering what's happening to the earth, um, you know, and, and, and real estate's role and construction's role and kind of what goes on there, we need to do a better job. Yeah, 100 percent. Cool. Let's pivot into um, kind of like the company side, because I think, um, I mean, obviously you mentioned the REACH program. You guys you guys bring companies in at such an early stage. Actually, sometimes they're more later stage and they have a lot of revenue and potentially a lot of customers, but they're obviously coming to you guys for some sort of um, operational um, edge, right? We joined the program because we thought that there would be a great way for us to learn from your member base what the problems were that they were facing on, on a day-to-day workflow basis. And it's hugely helpful for us. You know, the, obviously the, the investment money is, is kind of the carrot at the end of the stick. But um, when you're talking to some of these earlier stage companies, call it pre-seed to seed, what, what are some of the characteristics? And you don't have to rattle off metrics, um, you know, that a, a, an entrepreneur should think about. And are they all go-to-market related? Are there product-related questions that they they should be answering in a different way? Like, how do you like when you're sitting there across the table from somebody who's you know say got two hundred grand of ARR, and they're asking you to be in the program? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, for, first, it's kind of it's interesting to talk about how the Reach program has evolved. In the beginning, it was really early stage companies coming in who were just looking to kind of break into the, the real estate vertical, and they were primarily residentially focused. Um, yep. And really, the program has evolved from kind of accelerator, right? We were never an incubator. There were, we were always beyond concept. Um, there were real products, et cetera, but they were super early stage. The program has evolved into what we call a scale-up program because we do have a diverse group of, of companies participating. You still have the guys that are just getting you know, started, just scratching the surface from a revenue perspective, a couple hundred thousand ARR. But then we have groups that are doing tens of millions in top line basis when they come through, right? We've had publicly traded companies. We've had companies that have raised, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. We've had, you know, companies worth a billion plus based on their last raise come through the program, et cetera. Everyone has a different objective coming in the program, right? Um, whether they're just breaking into the vertical, they're coming from a different vertical and they had a highly successful business in mortgage, whatever it might be, and it might be applicable to what's happening. In the, re- in the real estate vertical. Um, some of these groups are getting ready to go public. Some are just looking to focus on raising capital. Some are launching new products, et cetera. And they're hoping to kind of find market fit a little faster and more efficiently. And, and efficiently. And some are actually just looking for a new customer base and looking for kind of that massive exposure that comes along with it. So it's tough to answer exactly what we look for because yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. each company has a, a bit of a different objective, which is kind of the beauty of the program because although there is this you know, there, there is kind of a set curriculum associated with the program, set events that everyone does, et cetera. <clears throat> the fact is that we, we spend a lot of time with each individual company on, on their specific objectives and then kind of tailor the in-between components of the program to make sure we're meeting those objectives. So a few things always hold true, right? We, we look first at kind of the, the founding team, the team that's going to be participating, et cetera. And, and this isn't lip service. We actually bet on people. Um, that that is, is that's where we start, right? Do we believe in the people that put this together, that are running it? They're going to be kind of taking it to the next level. Can we get behind them? Can we be a good partner to them? And are they going to be a good part of our of our ecosystem, of our community? You know, and we kind of pride ourselves on being community builders, right? And, and Matt, you know this. After going through the Reach program, you do become a part of kind of this this community. And even though yep. everyone in this community is competitive in some way or another, the fact is it's highly collaborative community. 
in every way in terms of getting in front of customers, raising capital, et cetera, uh, which is beautiful. And it's actually one of the things that we're really proud of. So we want to make sure that we're partnering with the right people. That's both the companies coming into reach and the companies that we write checks to from the Second Century Ventures Fund. Um, then we look at kind of traction and where they are and market fit, right? Do we think there's an opportunity? Is it too crowded? Are you doing something a bit different? And then the last thing that I care about is tech. So I'm always about team first, traction second, tech third, right? Um, tech is important, but it's certainly not the first thing I look at unless you're going to be putting you know, a man on the moon or you're curing cancer or whatever it might be, because we can always make tech better. We can build tech better, right? So we kind of focus on the other things first. And then based on the team and traction and a little bit on, on the way that they're solving a problem through their, their technology itself, um, that's how we kind of make a decision. The other thing that we're looking at is kind of the mix of companies and founders within each cohort, right? We want diversity of thought. We want people at different stages, again, kind of a part of this community because the companies that participate in the REACH program certainly get as much from one another as they do from, from, you know, from us and working with us. And so we want to make sure that we put the right people in the room at the right time um, so you guys can help each other out as well. Yeah, I can confirm that. I mean, for sure, there's been, um, you know, cohort companies in our class years, years before us, and quite frankly, even some years after that we are still in touch with. And, you know, you just bounce ideas off of and, you know, solve problems. Somebody that's already been there and done that, whether they're in your space or not, you might have a very specific question for them. Um, and you could always, always find that in, in this community that you guys have built, which I think is, is, is tremendous. And it's a global now, right? You're all over the place. So you're in Australia, you're in the UK, you're in Canada. You're in the U.S. Uh, how has that been, the That's expansion right. of it? Yeah. Honestly, it's been great. We, uh, we started to see some interest from um, some, some global companies to come to the U.S. And certainly, you know, these smaller markets, you know, I hope that entrepreneurs want to kind of outgrow their existing market and make it to some of the bigger markets out there. But then we started to notice that, you know, there was a lot of ingenuity coming from, you know, we, we had a group out of Germany, a couple of groups um, out of Australia that came over. Um, and, you know, they didn't operate with maybe the same blinders that, you know, U.S. Uh, real estate operates with. Um, and so we thought, you know, it'd, it'd be good to get out there, kind of tip of the spear, expand kind of the front end of our funnel and get to know these companies, you know, wherever they're actually being started. And so we started in Australia, which services Southeast Asia as well. <clears throat> we started the program in Canada after that. And then the one in, uh, in the U.K., which also kind of services Western Europe. Europe. And it's been exceptional. It's been exceptional. And, and these companies have actually, um, you know, they, they've been an incredible part of this community. And um, we just actually had our portfolio company summit um, in Vancouver about a month ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago, and about 100 of our founders from around the world were there. And it was great to see how these global programs actually started to interact with some of the, you know, the programs based in the U.S. Certainly some of our U.S.-based companies are interested in operating in some of these other countries and vice versa. And excited to announce that we'll be actually opening um, our Mexico City office here in the next uh, few months to service nice. the Latin American market as well, which will be really interesting. It's a lot of great um, ingenuity, some incredible founders in that region. We're excited about that. Oh, that's exciting, man. Congrats. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. Great insights, Tyler, both on the deal side and the operating side. Let's, uh, let's hit up our fast five questions and wrap this bad boy up. Um, we're going to ask you a question. You're going to have a minute to answer it. And it could be whatever you want. Uh, question number one. Okay. Uh, are you an early bird or a night owl? Or both? I think Matt knows the answer to this. I, I think I'm, an, <laughs> I'm a night owl for sure. Uh, 
we, we get as much work done in the, in the after hours. Uh, we coined the term reach after hours for a reason. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, rather stay up late than get up early. Yeah, I know. When we were in uh, Vegas and Blueprint, like my wife was trying to FaceTime me to say goodnight. And I'm like, sorry, I'm in an Uber on the way to, um, to go out. And she's like, uh, that's what you do when you travel? I'm like, that's where, that's where the business gets done. That's where the business gets yes. done. Um, cool. Question number That's two. Right. Uh, what is your favorite hobby? Oh, great, great question. Um, I, I like to travel and that's an interesting answer because I travel a lot for work and I'm all over the place, but I still love it. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I love what I do, but uh, you know, I love to get out and travel with my family and with friends and see different parts of the world. And, and that's certainly a passion of mine. And, you know, I certainly have other hobbies that I take advantage of, whether, you know, skiing or being in the ocean or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge uh, travel fan. So cool. Segway question for number three, then what's your favorite cuisine? Well, that's a tough one. Cause um, I, I'm, I'm a mix between a, food snob and I'll eat anything. Right. So you give me, you know, the best, you know, ta taco dive shop somewhere and I'm great with that. And I'm fine going to a Michelin star place as well. Um, I could probably live on chips and salsa and guacamole. Um, if I had to choose one thing for the rest of my life. So there you go. Deserted Island food. Uh, question four. Um, if you had any superpower, what would you choose? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, superpowers are dangerous, right? And a lot of responsibility with you, a superpower. You, I, I feel like you'd be see, what would it be? use it for um, good, though. I hope so. Yeah, I certainly <laughs> hope so. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I've always been a fan of Tony Stark, which is interesting. He's not really a superhero, right? He's just kind of a really smart guy with a ton of money, so he can kind of build himself into the universe. So may, maybe that. Maybe I'd like to be smarter. Um, and, and a little more creative. That is that is a superpower. We'll take it. Uh, Tyler, it's been great having you on. Last question. Um, if you could invite two people, if you could recommend two people for us to have on the show, who they be and one can't be Dave Garland. Yeah, I would never recommend Dave Garland. I'm kidding. He would be top of my list always. Um, let's see, have you chatted with Colleen Werner yet from Lulafit? Uh, yes, we have. But, you know, she's probably due for another visit. She would have been one of them. Uh, she is one of the most impressive uh, founders that I've met. I like her drive. Um, certainly doing some interesting, interesting things in the space. Um, I've got a couple people in Latin America that might be really interesting. Actually, the gentleman that's going to be helping us run the program named, named Carlos Rousseau. I don't know if you met him while you were at Blueprint. Carlos started the Mexico PropTech Association. And working close with us, but certainly kind of a really interesting insight to what's happening there. Um, and we actually have some partners. We're looking at expanding into Israel as well. We've got a couple of partners working with out of Tel Aviv. And I'll tell you, the innovation coming out of Tel Aviv, specifically on the construction tech side of things, is is really impressive. So, cool. Well, there you have it, Tyler. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's always good to see you. Um, if uh, if our audience wanted to find you, how would they do, how would they do so? Uh, T Thompson at scv.vc. Shoot me an email. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Appreciate your time, man. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll see you.